Welcome to the Modern Contemplative Podcast with J. Randall Ori. I am in my favorite place again, walking through the woods. Seemed to work the first time. Um, you can find more content from me on my website, which is the Modern Contemplative. The uh, URL is moderncontemplative.com. On my first podcast, this is a... Uh, don't fact check me, by the way. I... <laughs> I'm horrible. So my first podcast, I said that my website was themoderncontemplative.com. It's not. Just remove the the. It's just Modern Contemplative. I also said that Richard Rohr's school uh, was in uh, Arizona, but it's in New Mexico. So I just fact-checked myself. Um, (laughs) Hey, I'm shooting off the cuff here, okay? Uh, I'm I'm not looking at it, staring at a page of facts. I'm not trying to, I'm not here to read facts to you. So I'm here to talk to you more about what is contemplation. I'll try to talk to you a little bit about the historical manifestation of contemplation in the Christian tradition. I talked to you a little bit about kind of just what contemplation is in the midst of all of that. So today I want to talk to you about why contemplation matters. Why modern contemplation? What is modern contemplation? So I'm just going to tell you there is no such thing as modern contemplation. Um, it's not a modern thing is what I'm saying. Contemplation is an ancient thing. It's even more ancient than Christianity. As I've already said, it's meditation. It's an attempt to just be in tune with the world and ourselves and God and to see that all those things are not separate things. They're all one. Now, that sounds very foreign to most Christian teaching, most Christian theology. We really think of God as, you know, who, how do we think of God? How have we been taught to think about God? He's this old white man with a white beard on this huge throne. Sometimes there's like thunderbolts flashing from the throne, like Zeus. And he's up somewhere watching everything, like punishing people for doing wrong things. He's like deciding who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. So this is kind of the image of God that we've been given. Well, contemplation doesn't have that image of God at all. Um, So contemplation, like I've said, is just an attempt to connect to this, to God as something bigger than this kind of tyrannical, authoritative, divine, you know, punisher. Um, And to God as an energy force, as life, as as in all things, sorry, as I said before, it's not pantheism. Like, I'm not going to bow down and worship a a leaf or a tree, but I'm going to say, hey, this tree is an expression of God. It's a reflection of God. It's an image of God because God created it from the essence of his being and and it sustains it by his life. That's that's more contemplative, a contemplative perspective of God. But as I said before, it's not exclusive to Christianity, that idea. Um... There are monks and practitioners in every religion that practice contemplation. It's called often meditation, but it's the same thing. So um, I started out saying there is no such thing as modern contemplation. It is the oldest of practices. It is simply trying to live life in tune with God. Why I call it modern contemplation is because it's really about how contemplation has kind of come back to us in the last hundred years talked about Thomas Merton and Richard Rohr. There are others like Henry Nguyen, teachers of contemplation, who have kind of rediscovered this kind of lost art, this lost set of practices, this lost way of, 
of seeing the world, being in the world, which grounds us in the world in a different way, helps us see the world and ourselves in a different way. So modern contemplation is just really the idea that contemplation, this ancient practice, still has something good to teach us today. And it still is able to ground us in ultimate reality, which is the essence of God in all things and God in us. Um, is that is that you know viable? Is that is that something that really can transform our lives? Can it really change us? Can it really ground us in a different way in the world? Well, look at the world. How are we doing in the world? In the Western world specifically, like you know, you could say we we call it the first world versus the third world, which are very I find very condescending and reactionary terms but we we live in you know if you're a westerner you live in the first world what we call the first world so the idea is that we live at the peak of culture and society and technology we have the best life but is that true contemplation actually is a different set of truths that say the best life is life in tune with god God who is the energy force of the universe which sustains all life and simply loves all life, sustains life with the energy of love. God is an affirming energy in the universe. That is what makes life good. So, the Western mind, which is more individualistic, the Western mind says, no, life is good if I'm, I'm living at the peak of society in the first world and I have all the amenities. I have everything I want, I'm kind of achieving success, I'm reaching my goals, my bank account is, is fully stocked, I have the, the nice house, you know, it's like it's pursuing the good life in terms of material acquirement is what I call it, material acquirement, Exter- well, external acquirement, uh, getting the right stuff, having the right clothes, the right job, the right title, the right identity. You can see the rise of Facebook and the popularity of Facebook is about having the right identity. But it's enabled us to craft and curate our identities to be something other than what we are in order to produce the, the illusion that we are something, <clears throat> that we are who we want to be. So contemplation, in contrast to all of that, says who we are is who we are inside our hearts, inside our spirit. We know this idea of a soul, perhaps you could say. It's not who we are externally. It's not the image that we put forth for people to see, um, even <clears throat> people that we interact with personally. It's who we are internally. It's about the essence of things. And it also says that God is the essence behind all things, too. And as we connect with the essence of ourselves and the essence of God, then we really know the true value of life and the true purpose of life and who we truly are. Uh, Merton called that the true self versus the false self. He tried to make that distinction and help us understand the false self he called also the ego self. The ego self was just focused on trying to promote itself and its rightness and its beliefs. Um, contemplation says we're all right simply by being connected to God because God loves us Um, so probably a long explanation I don't know if that was very clear but let me explain a little bit about why I think contemplation matters in today's world 
you know, world that we could say is in many ways burning down. And, you know, war and famine, there's refugees, displacement and um, violence, conflict, politically, religiously. You know, I mean, it seems that humanity is, <clears throat> for all the idea that we have evolved or we have improved, is it just, is it true or is it just external? So, um, are we on a good path? Are we on the right path? Are we truly enlightened? Um, <clears throat> this is why I think contemplation matters and how it has affected me personally. So when I was 42, I had a breakdown. It was uh, Christmas 2015, I believe. And it wasn't just a little breakdown. <clears throat> you know, Brene Brown talks about having a little breakdown. <laughs> this was a very big, very big breakdown for me. It wasn't just a mental breakdown. It was mental, emotional, physical. <clears throat> I literally... I basically had a three-day panic attack, and then I lay in bed for a week. I was just immobilized. It was just the culmination of a season of a lot of stress. I was managing a thrift store, which also ran a charity. I was trying to take on more and more in my life. I was a father of two kids, actually, and we, we were fostering a third child at the time. And I was just trying to do it all. But that was also in combination with a lifelong struggle with anxiety and depression. I struggled extremely so in my teen years. I managed in my 20s and 30s to kind of, well, I, you know, what, achieve a measure of healing. Looking back, though, it was just really me learning to cope through numbing. Um, so I would describe it. I just kind of learned to shove it below the surface and achieve um, a surface level of happiness and focus on other things but it didn't really resolve the issues of anxiety. So all that kind of came to a head when I was 42 and I had a breakdown. So I talked about, you know, pursuing God through my 20s and 30s and really trying to know God, and that was true. It's not that at 42 I realized I didn't know God. But that breakdown really called me and brought me to question everything about how I did life, everything in my life including God, how I knew God. And through that, God, through that, uh, through the recovery that followed, God really began to show me to reorient my life in a different way. <coughs> um, what I realized was that I'd been on a journey and I had invited God to walk with me on my journey. But that breakdown showed me that God actually had a different, a different idea. His idea was that I would go with him on his journey for me. So that kind of began, I would say, a more in-depth kind of transformation towards a more contemplative mind, which is trying to understand and get in the flow of the life of God in me and with me and, and in a way that where God can lead my life and direct my life towards the purpose he created me for. And so... That's been the last four or five years where I've just been really leaning into contemplation, trying to learn how to quiet my own thoughts, desires, um, wants and will in order to let God's will come in. Um, it's a fight. Every day it's like, you know, I get stuck in these habits and patterns and 
learning to quiet all that all that stuff and what I you know but what's come out of it for me is greater peace and I've it's resolved my anxiety in a lot of ways it doesn't cut me off from feeling the world and experiencing the world <clears throat> but it's allowed me to gain some perspective on why I feel what I do and how I experience the world and understanding that um, in a way I'm just completely surrounded by this God energy that really holds me up, protects and heals and just carries me through life. And so a lot of contemplative um, mystics talk about kind of um, entering into this, what they call a dark night or they call it space of negation um, kind of just still an inner stillness where they're no longer trying to reach and accomplish and move towards things but they're just kind of in a sense floating you can picture it like a stream you're just kind of in this boat in a stream and the stream is carrying you along that's kind of a contemplative way of being and living it's a you know it's just the inner quiet What I've begin, begun to learn in, in these practices is that a lot of my anxiety came from... Sorry, I'm walking these trails and I'm like, where am I? <laughs> Trying to figure out. I'm focused on this. So, um, for me, contemplation is just a way to release. Release the struggle to make something happen. And to control the world around me and myself in the world. And to let it kind of flow and trust that God is actually in charge of that flow. God is actually guiding me and he's guiding the whole world and I can just kind of relax and let it happen. You know, some people might mistake contemplation for fatalism or nihilism, a, re- a resignation to the way things are, but it's not, you know, it's a, re- it's a resignation to the reality that God really is with us, loves us and really is moving us along and it's kind of just learning to stop resisting that flow. So, I guess my conclusion, at least to that question, is contemplation valid and important for us today? I believe it is because I believe it helps us learn how to step back from that egocentric, driven, self-centered kind of life and learn how to participate in a broader sense with the whole world. And it, it is the idea that the whole world is in this f- larger flow that, that God is directing. You know, a tree only knows how to be a tree. A fox is just going to be a fox. And I am just going to be the human person that God created me to be. And when I do that, when I'm in that flow of just who I'm meant to be, then I'm not in conflict. I'm not trying to compete with other people. I'm not fighting for anything. I'm not fighting for my own anything. But I'm surrendering to this grand, greater um, story and narrative in the world. And that brings peace. I don't have to worry about people accepting me, my ideas, whether people validate me or not, affirm me or not. I am who I am, where I'm supposed to be, just in the flow of what my life is supposed to be. Um, so the contemplative mind is just really reorienting, reorienting the way we see the world to uh, a trusting embrace 
that God truly is moving all things and we can trust in that and I don't have to fight against circumstances in my life I don't have to resist what happens I can accept the good and the bad and trust that it all will lead me to what is good and that it really won't kill me Um, that this eternal energy which is God also holds me in that eternal space so and even death is not real it's just a season of coming back alive so um, I think contemplation has a lot to teach us today if you can look at the church and the history of religion and the institutional you know expression of church as it's been co-opted by governments over time and been um, changed and formed by those governments um, you can see we can see what it's become it's become an isolated segregated um, system you know or it's a system which isolates and segregates and says who is good enough for God and who's not and the Baptists think the Methodists aren't good enough and you know we are all in our little camps and tribes and we're all saying we got it right God loves us doesn't love you and and contemplative practice and contemplative perspective says that's not God that is a distortion that has come that's come out of the co-opting of the Christian religion by first the Roman Empire and, and then the, the medieval um, European monarchies and now Western democracies. You know, if you observe, <clears throat> any church typically takes on the infrastructure of the government that it's in. In the West, we have, you know, the pastors like the president, the elders and deacons are like the Congress, and the congregates are like the voters. They literally vote people into those offices. Rome, or the Roman Catholic Church, patterned itself after Rome. The emperor was like the pope, cardinals, bishops. They had a senate. And, um, but it was election within that power structure. People didn't vote. It was an empire. It was imperialistic. Um, that was the form of government at that time. So that's what the church became. But all of that formed the church to be something other than what Jesus intended and what Jesus taught, which was just getting back to knowing God, each of us individually, getting back in the flow of life lived in connection with God. That was the original intent of Jesus, and and contemplation within Christianity came out of that desire just to practice and the the knowledge of just what it means to walk with God, to engage with God. And, And it saw God, as I said, differently, not as this king of a kingdom who was uh, you know in charge of a punitive system of deciding who was good and who was bad and you know the Santa Claus God but a God who was trying to <coughs> draw all people back into that life-giving energy which is God so I think contemplation can teach us a lot it can bring us to that place of understanding how to love each other how to love people regardless what they believe, who they are, where they end up in culture, history. And that is the real force of contemplation in our times. I believe it is a means for us to find common ground in the biggest way to know that God is our common ground. 
That's hard to do because we've got to resist and fight against this other idea of God which separates. But the contemplative perspective, contemplative teaching says that's not really God. God is unifying. God is unitive. God is one. And God makes us one. I hope that's helped you understand why contemplation in our times can be helpful and is worth learning more about. This has been the Modern Contemplative Podcast with J. Randall Ori. I hope you'll stay tuned as we delve into other ideas, trying to understand how we can actually get into that flow of God and how that can change us and kind of liberate us to be free just to be who we are. So I hope you'll keep uh, listening and, and join me next time. Thanks.